Hey there! Welcome to Blood House, the show where we talk about art house horror movies. I'm your host, Joshua Conkle. And I am your photosensitive, candlelit co-hostess, Drusilla Adeline. Welcome to another week and welcome to another episode, <laughs> Josh. Yay! Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's it going? How are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, I was literally just hanging out in my little home office before we started um, having a little snack, getting myself energized and relaxed. I'm working from home a lot lately, and so finding time to like make my home office both feel like... <laughs> my home and not just work is like, mm-hmm. I have to like be in this room to like kind of take away that sting from it. Um, and I've been hanging out watching some videotapes um, of a little show called, I think you should leave with Tim oh Robinson. I found a company online called Volishard tapes. I believe out of Ohio that uh. put out all three seasons of, I think you should leave on VHS. It has the little key video logo on the bottom. It does have the key video logo and the key video like rainbow motif going around it. That's what my copy of Shock Treatment VHS had. Yeah. As a little kid. Yeah. I still have that Shock Treatment VHS. That's what a lot of my like Robert Altman tapes and stuff have. It's they're so delightful and it's really really yeah. fun to watch this show on VHS for some reason. <laughs> it weirdly works show. for the aesthetic. It's so goddamn good. And yeah. it's a very uh accurate vhs tape it plays very well they're not trying to make it look fake um it's great i love it um i also have been uh in a like redecoration mode as we like get into the new year and reset and re like furbish my house a little bit Mm -hmm. um and one of my favorite go-to sources right now or for the past couple years actually uh westgate gallery uh is a great movie poster resource okay um they have a huge archive of vintage horror, giallo, exploitation, classic Hollywood, and like porn um, mm-hmm. uh, artwork from like all around the world. And they're having like a 75% off um, like clearance sale at the moment. Um, okay. I got so much shit, but namely, I hung a new poster downstairs um, in my living room near my dining room. Um, it's an original Spanish one sheet for the Hammer classic Twins of Evil. Oh, wow. Um, and it's retitled to uh, Dracula y las Melizas, which is Dracula and the Twins. Yeah. And it's so fucking beautiful. And it's this crazy illustration. And it's like super purple and orange with these like green and red pops. And it looks really, really beautiful next to... Um, my Pedro Almodovar uh, Dark Habits poster that was mm-hmm. illustrated by Evan Zulueta. So I bunch a bunch of stuff. I got a bunch of Italian lobby cards for a movie called Horrible Sexy Vampire, which I can't wait to put up. That's so cool. Um, a bunch of really dope stuff. Uh, if you've got some wall space that needs to be filled and some money that's burning a hole in your pocket, Westgate Gallery is great. The 75% off is amazing they're not paying me to say this i am just like (laughs) this is where i get the majority of my shit from um and christian who runs it is absolute a sweetheart and has just impeccable taste and so there's a lot of amazing stuff on there if you are into the lot of the stuff that we talk about on this show Mm. you can probably find something really really incredible over there for a really great price right now is it in la or do you buy online uh, I buy online, but it's in LA. You can do in, you can do pickup in LA, um, and it's, you're literally just driving over to like West Hollywood, and the guy like walks outside and brings you posters to your car. <laughs> That's cool. So he's it just rocks. like running it in his house or something, or like a small <laughs> rented office, or yeah, it seems like that. Um, the it, Christian who runs it isn't even the, the multiple people like work there, so like it's mm-hmm. a, another really nice guy named Jose. Who brings it out they're really 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 awesome i've gotten like a lot of my pieces for the loved one there i've gotten a lot of my fassbender and Boonwell stuff there um a lot of my like euro sleaze kind of stuff is have gotten from there they just have incredible incredible resources a lot of john waters a lot mm. of argento a lot of like the shit we talk about on this show um yeah. so i wanted to shout it out because they do amazing work and i want them to be supported i know the only other person i know that buys as much from them as i do as far as i know 
um, is Sean Baker, who directed Tan- um, Tangerine. <laughs> He's constantly posting about uh, stuff that he gets from them, and it's just they're the best. Our mutual friend Jose has a lot of movie posters. I wonder mm-hmm. if he shops there. He probably does. He does, uh, I believe, but I know he also uh, subscribes to a few auction sites. And he's like, mm. I'll, once every few months, I get texts from Jose that are just like, do you want a hammer? Um, Dracula has risen from the grave US one sheet with the band-aids on the neck. And I'm like, yeah, I do. He's like, do you have $1,200? So I'm like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's he, so cool. Jose has been my big hookup for the majority of my <laughs> poster. Color. The right behind me, obviously listeners can't see this because this is an audio based medium, but Josh and right. I are on a video <laughs> call while we do this. So he can see behind me is a Louise Bunuel poster um, for the Milky way is 1969 kind of religious comedy. Jose had a second one and he just gave that to me. <laughs> he just had two. <laughs> He's a saint and I love him so much. Yeah. That's How cool. are you doing? What's going on? I'm good. I've been busy. Um, I have a full-time job, of course. I've been working on Dead Boy Detectives, but all, I, um, I'm also shooting my, my second short film in a week in New York. Yeah, so pre-pro. That, which I, I love doing pre-production. It's kind mm. of the best part of filmmaking. It really is. Because everything seems possible and just mm-hmm. like coming up with the look of the thing and shot planning and all that sort of stuff. So it's like very sexy, creative work. And then um, just today, I got up really early because I'm gonna um, start writing plays again. I think. Well, <gasps> I know. So, so listeners may know that I started as a playwright. I lived in New York for many years and was a professional playwright, and I gave it up because I was so kind of heartbroken by theater, and I moved to LA and started doing TV instead. But this theater company that's really cool in Los Angeles called Rogue Machine, they did my play Milk Milk Lemonade back in 2010. They reached out and they're like, hey, we're looking for plays. Do you have anything? And I was like, I don't do that anymore. But if you have a playwrights group, I would love to be in it because I've been really, you know, theater has been sort of tugging at my heart for a a year or so in a weird way. And they're like, we don't have one, but we want one. So if you want to run it, then we'll support (gasps) you. And so like now I am running Rogue Machines Playwrights Lab for the next six months. Josh! We had our first meeting today and the playwrights are so good and so diverse and cool and from, you know, all different kind of perspectives. So it's going to be a really cool group and I'm really excited to write my play for it. And I'm just like feeling very creative and very um, alive at the moment. <laughs> you are truly starting off the new year on like the best possible foot forward. Yeah, with like, I feel really good. You literally are like tackling all three of your mediums at once right now. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm expected a month from now to hop on an episode of this, and you're like, so my fashion line drops in a week. <laughs> I, a collection what? of cable knit sweaters. Do you know that's so funny that you mentioned that because I <laughs> am um, I am taking sewing classes soon because <laughs> mm. I've always wanted to learn how to sew. <laughs> oh my god. But well, I don't know how to thread a, a machine, so I've got a long ways to go before I'm dropping a line of my own. If you ever need help, hit up Ivory. She can help you out with that. That's okay. literally her job. <laughs> she sews, too? Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. Anyway, have you been watching anything awesome lately while you're, yes. like, busy putting stuff out in the world? Yes. So, speaking of shock treatment, um, we did an episode recently on the film safe which had a surprise cameo by jessica harper and queen mother queen mother jessica harper whom we love so somebody reached out via instagram a listener named eric and he's like hey i just watched this jessica harper movie i'm wondering if you've seen it i don't know if you like musicals or not but it's called pennies from heaven and Mm. i didn't i mean I, i think i had heard of it but it's also like a famous song so maybe it's just the song that i'd heard of but I watched it and really, really loved it. And it's interesting because I looked at Letterboxd afterwards and it has very mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, but I, it really worked for me. So, listener, if you haven't seen it, it's a musical, a sort of deconstructed Hollywood musical from 1981, set in the Depression, stars Steve Martin, Bernadette Peters, and Jessica Harper. And, and Christopher Wildly. Walken. Oh, and Christopher Walken in yeah. an early turn. He was great in it. Um, 
no one actually sings in the movie. They it's mm-hmm. only lip syncing and it's to old records from like the twenties and thirties. So it's very scratchy sounding and they do it in a weird way where sometimes men are singing songs that were originally sung by women, but it's all lip synced and it's so cool to me. It's mm-hmm. really, it was really powerful and it really worked. They still, do, I saw it back in college because I'm a big Steve Martin fan and grew up with a lot of his movies and like, being like, oh, he did another movie with Bernadette Peters after The Jerk. That's incredible. I love Jessica Harper. And I'd heard a lot about Christopher Walken's dance sequence in it. Um, and it's also directed by Herbert Ross, who made Last of Sheila, which is a movie that I know you love, I too. I love that movie. And love I that movie. just this moment that it had the same director as that. <laughs> He's a very talented director. Um, mm-hmm. I... I have such a weird admiration for Pennies from Heaven because I love the original song. Mm-hmm. I love that cast. I love that poster. It's fucking insane. And I love a lot of the set pieces that they do because while they it is just lip syncing, they do actually do these crazy, huge kind of Busby Berkeley. And the um, dancing is really good. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, Steve I Martin's mean, a good dancer. He's Steve really Martin's good. a good dancer. Christopher Walken's an incredible dancer. That's like yeah. his whole thing. If you just know him dancing from the Fat Boy Slim music that, video, that video right. you are missing out the whole like that's that was his raison d'etre. That was like his the whole way he got into acting was he was a yeah. professional dancer. Um and he was on Broadway and stuff. Uh I love all of that, and I really love the way that like it kind of breaks apart the like um kind of cinematic myth of the 1930s depression of mm-hmm. like, this is how we were transmitting this time. And this is how fucked up and awful this time was. Yeah. Um, the movie's a big downer. It is. That's a really sad third act. It's it really me, sad third act. It really reminded me a lot of day of the locust. Yeah. Which is dissimilar because it's set in Hollywood and it's sort of about movies. And this is set in Chicago, but they have like a similar vibe which is i feel like they shoot horses don't they is also totally in that same realm yeah um the like late 70s early 80s like the fucking 20s and 30s were rough guys turns out the depression was depressing (laughs) (laughs) Um, i i should see it again i remember in college not being like aesthetically um enjoying it but emotionally it was having a really hard time to connect because steve martin's character is not a great dude no he sucks he in fact sucks a lot but it's um, a testament to steve martin's charm that i liked the movie and i liked yeah the character despite him objectively being an awful person i i thought he was really hot in it to be honest he is <laughs> well the little like musical number that he does with both of them that's like in the little like sailor outfits and stuff yeah. like it's adorable a, so wild cool. a wild choice a wild wild choice to, to cast bernadette peters and jessica harper and not have any singing <laughs> it's like a crazy choice it almost feels like trolling yeah <laughs> steve martin has such a weird career because like like from a cultural like wide view you're like oh in the 80s he starred in big comedies like three yeah. migos and the jerk <clears throat> and the man with two brains and all that stuff where he was a big star vehicle and in the 90s he kind of slowed down and got a bit more romantic and dramatic with like la story and um the father of the bride movies and then mm-hmm. he kind of had like a fumble in the mid-2000s with bring it down the house and then like came back recently after years of being an art collector and playwright with um only murders in the building but there's a lot of little like microcosms of weirdness in his career, and this is one of them. This his first movie is the weird Bee Gees musical. I was gonna say um, um, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Yeah, with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. It's mm-hmm. awful. <laughs> I liked it a lot when I was little, but I'm sure I would not like it now. It was one re-watch. of the like albums my dad gave me growing up, so I watched it in like middle school a lot with my friends because yeah. we're like, this is insane. Like, Mean Mr. Mustard is, like, a pedophile who lives in a van with robots and shit. It's weird. Yeah. I did rewatch his number from that, which is Maxwell Silverhammer. Which is um, the best scene in the movie. The best number. Yeah, it's yeah. the best number. And he's in Little Shop of Horror, so he's done yeah. a few musicals. But one of my favorite kind of oddity Steve Martin performances that, and movies that's a, more, like, tonally and dramatically in line with Pennies from Heaven is a 1990s David Mamet thriller that he's the villain in um, with, like, Ben Gazzara 
called the Spanish it? Prisoner. Oh yes, right. It's so fucking good. The problem with David Mamet is that he's very talented. I mean, I know that he's such an asshole. And he's such an asshole. His so politics bad. suck. A lot of his movies are dog shit. But House of Games and Spanish Prisoner, I will go to bat for because Spanish Prisoner is, is like, like addictively fun to watch. And it's like really twisty and really mean. And Steve Martin is so charming and putting on the like kind of dialed back fun Steve Martin persona. And he uses it to hook and bait you so well. Uh, I adore that movie. But like something like Oleana, dog shit. Get it away from me. Yeah. David Mamet sucks. Um, do you know what Steve Martin role I love so much? One of my first favorite movies and a movie I still adore is the original Muppet movie from 1980. Yes, is the like, waiter. Piggy and Kermit go on their first romantic date at like a Canadian themed expensive restaurant. And he's like the, like he's wearing little short shorts, which are honestly really yeah, sexy. He's really he's hot. He's the it. rude waiter. And he's like, would you like to smell the bottle cap? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good there's uh he one of the, like the things that kind of made him famous i think there was like an oscar nominated short that he did in the 70s um called the absent-minded waiter mm-hmm. and it stars um terry gar and uh buck henry as a couple who go out on a date and she's like i don't want to be here i just want to like get something and go i just want to go we've got like a whole like date plan he's like no 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 trust me it's worth it and Steve Martin comes out as the raider and he's like fucking everything up and like constantly getting their order wrong. But he's like smiling through it and he's super confident because he's Steve Martin. Uh, and he keeps like spilling food all over Terry Gar and Buck Henry just has a big grin on his face. And she's like, we need to leave. What are you doing? He's like, trust me. Trust me. It's worth it. It's great. And Steve Martin comes back out with her bill. And he's like, okay, here you go. And your change? 200? 300? 400? 500? Enjoy your day. And they're like, cool. Let's come right back in. It's so funny. <laughs> it's ad- it's on YouTube. It's, it's so, so goddamn cute. good. His performance for just like 10, 15 minutes as the stupidest, most confident man of the world is great. Yeah. And I love Terry Gar and everything ever. Of course, of course. Yes. Um, what about you? Have you been watching anything cool? Yeah, so there's a movie that I have um, kind of like put off for an extremely long time um, that my girlfriend finally bullied me into watching recently because we've been talking about it a lot and because I um, recently did a book cover for Keanu Reeves, oh, right. uh, which comes out in July called The Book of Elsewhere. Um and one of her favorite Keanu Reeves movies she's been like trying to get me to watch for a long time. And it's Stephen Frears' 1988 adaptation of Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. With I John Malkovich and Glenn Close. I would always see the like cover growing up at my library. And I love that like crazy wild red type. And like it looks super cool. And I always had a crush on Michelle Pfeiffer because mm-hmm. obviously. But I, I like especially growing up seeing Cruel Intentions and all that kind of stuff and knowing that it's supposed to be like a sexy kind of like love games kind of story. I was always like Glenn Close and John Malkovich. No, thank you. (laughs) Could no. Um, But I finally watched it and a, I just, I love Stephen Frears movies so much. He is incredible. I love Michelle Pfeiffer. I love Swoozie Kurtz so much. I love Keanu love Reeves. Her. I yeah. love Uma Thurman. I love fucking Peter Capaldi. Um, and Glenn Close's performance is incredible. And John Malkovich as a fucking vile piece of shit is very good. But goddamn, Michelle Pfeiffer takes the fucking cake in that movie. She is incredible. That and like Age of Innocence, the like... Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer in gorgeous period films. Impeccable. I don't know why I mean, it took me so long. I want to re-see that. It's been many, many years since I saw that. I used to really love that movie when I was like 10, 11, 12. It's um, very mean-spirited. Yeah, of course. Of course I was drawn to it as a <laughs> young gay villain. Um, I Some of those people feel like people who should not be in a period piece. Just like Keanu Reeves? On, yeah, like on paper. But... 
that's kind of charming in a way. Like, you know, like um, my favorite adaptation of Little Women is Greta Gerwig's. I just think she mm-hmm. kind of nailed that. But then the parents, Laura Dern and Bob Odenkirk, feel yeah. so not period. They feel like they just drove in from Santa Monica. Yeah. To shoot. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it feels like the cast of Dangerous Liaison, some of them feel like that to me. Keanu is like right in between the two Bill and Ted movies when he made this. So he's still kind of like is wide-eyed and confused in all his scenes. And you're like, this works for this character, though. It's great. I, I defend don't his performance in Bram Stoker's Dracula. And Me too. Not because I think that he's like so amazing in it, but I feel like he's inappropriately cast in a way, but that to me sort of makes it feel more like an old Hollywood movie, which is sort Mm -hmm. of the point. Because when they had the star system, they just had to cast people that had contracts, whether they were right for the role or not, right? So for me, that helps it feel more like the 30s, 40s movies that it's referencing. I agree, but also like Jonathan Harker as a character, it's very easy to write him into this kind of heroic symbol and character of Mm -hmm. like, he escapes Dracula and makes his way back to Mina and he's going to help save her and he's going to kill Lucy and all this stuff. You like, I could see a version where that happens. In fact, there's a lot of versions of Dracula where he's kind of positioned that way instead making him kind of dim and kind of put upon and sweet and doesn't know what he's doing and just loves her. And that's all he knows is yeah kind of perfect because it's not his movie yeah it's casting her Jonathan movie. as a himbo is really helpful in in the terms of like girl turn around like like everything yeah. should be telling you to not go to this castle and to turn around and go home and he doesn't and it, it really helps in that regard too it's also like i mean it's a love triangle movie at the end of the day between her and gary oldman's dracula and when you've got like sweet but dumb Keanu Reeves and fucking mean and hot Gary Oldman Dracula who's gonna like dance with you in a room full of candles that's absolutely a fire hazard like you're 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 gonna choose Gary Oldman like yeah, yeah. even though Keanu is the nicer human being and is such a like, delight <laughs> and like charming little boy and I love him so much but Swoozie Kurtz and Dangerous Liaisons too is she's like like I think it's the same year she did True Stories and like it's the same she's same accent she sounds like she just stepped out of texas it's the same like kind of performance she gives in like pushing daisies and stuff and she's reality just, bites like, as well as mm-hmm. winona Ryder's mom she's so funny in reality bites i love swoozie kurt she does not get nearly enough credit i adore mm-hmm. her she's incredible really, really good. uma thurman is also incredible in dangerous liaisons and she's like fucking a foot taller than everyone else in every scene <laughs> Honestly, just to watch Uma Thurman, like, walk in period costume through, like, convents, like, you're gonna, you're gonna get an applause for me, like, it's great. (laughs) I loved it. I had a really, really good time. Uh, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is an incredible actress and deserved an Oscar for making people believe that she actually wanted to fuck John Malkovich alone. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's a feat, ma'am. Well... This has been a really great segue, sort of, because we've been talking about period pieces, and our main movie of the day is a period piece as well. Today, we are discussing from 2001, written, directed, and scored by Alejandro Amenabar, The Others. Sometimes the world of the dead gets mixed up with the world of the living. As you can see, the housework has been rather neglected since the servants disappeared almost a week ago. You mean they just vanished into thin air? How do you do, children? I'm your new nanny. Are you going to leave us too? Why should I leave you? The others said they wouldn't, but they did, and then it happened. Why do you open the curtains? It was Victor. You told your brother that there was someone else in the room. There was. That'll do, Anne. Um, so this is interesting that you picked this because as soon as you did, I thought, oh, interesting, because to me, this is like a very commercial mainstream movie and we cover art house movies, of course. But then I started thinking about it and like, well, this has a criterion release, I think, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, it just made me start thinking about how the 
appraisal of something changes over time. And so I think this is like a pretty good example of this because this was a hugely successful movie. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it feels very mainstream, very commercial. Um, I did see it in the theater in 2001. And that was the last time I saw it. I haven't watched it since, but it just made me think about, you know, not that it matters that much, like what is considered art house versus not. And like the appraisal of something changing over the decades and, and all of that. I'm very much so. I mean, like we in 2024 have a very like privileged perspective of the past and something in like, if you talked to an art house programmer in the 1950s in New York, who was like getting the latest reels of Ingmar Bergman movies in and spooling them up. And you were like, ah, the great, like, art house classic mildred pierce he'd like turn his nose up to you and be like the f-? no mildred pierce was a giant oscar winner like mother totally. movie what are you talking about yeah um like time changes our perspective well it's also the kind of thing that like i think that the Oscars should be held four or five years after the movies come out mm-hmm. um because i think time really cements what's important and valuable speaking of yeah. glenn close after watching dangerous liaisons i was like oh yeah she's just like never won an oscar as of yet and she like almost won one a few years ago what movie was that what move what movie was the wife <laughs> who the fuck still talks about the wife other than that gif of her losing like the others is one that has sat in my brain since I saw it in 2001. And I've always been like, Oh yeah, it's just that twist. It's, it's, it's that movie with that twist. Cool. And so when it got like a new restoration and started like getting like a Rialto and studio canal re-release across the U S and the UK, I was like, huh? Okay. Curious. And it got its criterion release. And I was like, I let's, let's give this another shot. Um, and it is both like a big commercial gothic ghost banger of a movie. And it's also like a forebearer of what Mike Flanagan is doing now. Absolutely. In Very every good way, point. shape and form. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's like, I think it has a good amount to say about the gothic ghost movie and stuff. And it's also like, should also be noted that a Amenabar uh, was not a big filmmaker. Um, in the United States before yes, this, this movie is came out. Third movie, and I think his first la- English language movie. Mm-hmm. And he's made other films since. None have ever reached the heights of this or Close Your Eyes, which was adapted the same year as this by Cameron Crowe um, as uh, Vanilla Sky, starring mm-hmm. this movie's producer, Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's just. Oh. It's a strange it's a strange moment in film and time and I never gave this movie a passing thought initially and I'm really glad that I have. Yeah, I saw this in the theater. I remember liking it and thinking that it was pretty good and then not really rating it to be honest because it to, I don't really like mainstream movies that much, right? Like my taste mm-hmm. is like very arty farty or very trashy and very little in between sometimes. Um and I and rewatching it I thought if this movie were from 1971 instead of 2001, it'd probably be one of my favorite movies of mm-hmm. all time. If everything exactly the same, but like the 1971 um, version of it. And it doesn't even feel I, like a 2000s movie. Well, it kind of does to me because it's so shiny and like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a commercial movie and like a big Hollywood movie. But I did realize in my thinking that like, Oh, if I were 23 instead of 43 with my exact same taste, this would probably feel that way to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, and and I also think the movie's very well made. I mean, it mm-hmm. looks beautiful. The acting's great. The script is great. I mean, it doesn't really, there's no kind of missteps here. Whether, I mean, maybe there is, if you don't like the twist ending, which we will spoil. I'm sure listener, if you have not seen this movie, which I, I would be surprised if you haven't and you're listening to this, but, well, this really is your point to it. turn this episode off and go watch this movie. It's very available. Yeah. You can go rent it. You can go buy it. You can go watch it. It's available. If you haven't been spoiled by the twist ending yet in your life, awesome. Lucky for you. Go watch it. Don't be. And then come back. Yeah. When I sat down to watch this, Joel walked by and he was like, oh, I remember this. It's sort of like um derivative of the sixth sense. Right. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, 
not really, but not really. <laughs> but it Only does have in that, that like twist. It's, yeah, it's got a it's got a big twist that was like culturally a thing. I saw this in two thousand one, maybe two thousand two. I didn't get to see it in theaters. I was for context, like all of six or seven years old. Right. It, it was one of the first horror movies that I watched all the way through. Um, because it was PG thirteen or PG or something like that. It was like yeah. not a high rating because not there's nothing that would warrant that. It works like a forties movie. There's no obscene language. There's like it reminds me a lot of the innocence in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my family and I were in Ohio <clears throat> to go to Paramount's Kings Island. Oh my god, uh, I know Kings Island for Halloween for some reason. Okay. Um, and we stayed overnight at a motel next, like adjacent to the park, because we were going to be like going to the park one day, staying at the hotel, and then going to the park the next day, and then going home. Sure. Um, and so the night that we spent in the motel, we were just like, got dinner in the motel room, and like, hey, this place has free HBO. Let's see what's on. And it was nothing but horror movies because it was like Halloween or Halloween or whatever. Um, heaven, but as a child who was very scared by horror movies, I was really trepidatious. And it was like the very first time The Others was going to be on TV anywhere. And my parents were both like, oh, we wanted to see this. And my mom was like, okay, it's PG-13. Kids can watch it. It's whatever. It's fine. And I remember just being like terrified. The whole movie, freaking terrified. The like little puppet scene in the nursery mm-hmm. uh with the veil terrified uh even her meeting her husband out by the gate in the fog terrified uh and then when the twist happened my mind was blown my little like six seven year old mind was truly blown and i was like that's the smartest scariest thing ever oh my god and it was kind of one of my gateway horror movies mm. um but it scared me so much that we couldn't go to bed so they had to leave the tv on and play what was coming on next to calm us down and it was scary movie too <laughs> which is also a haunted house ghost movie yes. but a lot funnier and has david cross funnier. playing basketball <laughs> no wheelchair my god you just sent a memory flooding back to me which <laughs> i saw a movie that same way where my mom and i decided to go camping alone together but there were no camping spots so we had to check into a hotel and my mom went to sleep and I was watching the free HBO and I saw a movie that way that was called Clown House by <gasps> director Victor Salvo. Oh, uh, no. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Pedophile director which, of the Jeep- Jeepers Creepers series. Yes. And it was the movie he he sexually abused one of the children that stars mm-hmm. in Clown House. And I remember that the movie, the little boys are nude in one moment. And I remember being like, that's weird. Cause I was also a little boy. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. I don't usually see naked little boys in, in movies. And um, I remember it being really scary. I think it's like a home invasion movie with like clowns when little kids are home alone. But um, yeah, so weird. And now you, of course you can't find that movie anywhere and rightfully so, but just such a weird memory that came flooding back to me. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to bring the mood down with a child molester, but um, so synopsis wise, the others is set in 1945. We are following Nicole Kidman, who plays Grace. She's a wealthy but sort of nerve-wracked single mother because her husband is away at war. They live in Jersey in the Channel Islands, which is a place um, in the UK that was occupied by the Germans. And um, her two young children are both photosensitive, which means basically that they're allergic to light and have to stay out of the light at all times. And she's sort of nerve wracked. She's raising the kids in this palatial estate by herself. Her husband's nowhere to be found. She's got no letters from him. And um, her uh, one day, three servants show up. There's Mrs. Mills, who's like the nanny and cook mr tuttle who's the groundskeeper and lydia who's like a a dumb or or a mute rather maid and they kind of show up out of nowhere and they say that you know they're here to help and that they used to work at the house a long time ago and yada 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 so very not very quickly you learn that they are actually um that her letter asking for new help never got picked up from the mailbox so they've come without her bidding, which is weird. 
the, the, little, the kids are saying that they're seeing a little boy named Victor who keeps causing trouble in the house. It's like a it's truly very classical haunted house movie. But they have to the keep twist. the like blinds closed at all times when the kids are yep. in the room. It can only be lit by candlelight because they're photosensitive. Every door has to be like closed before the next one is opened. It's very there's a lot of rules and setup and a lot of things yeah. to start perking your interest. Yeah, and the kids are talking about they keep seeing a little boy whose name is Victor. They see an old lady with white eyes. Um, so it seems like there's more than one ghost. And, you know, there's like a mystery all around this and you're getting closer and closer to figuring it out. And the twist is that our characters are actually the ghosts and the ghosts that they're seeing in quotes are a new family who has moved in. And so basically they are being haunted by the living and don't realize that they are haunting this new family that's mm-hmm. moved in. It's Is great. Any, it's a really it's fun movie. twist. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's played in a really fun way because all of so rewatching it for this, I obviously watched it from the perspective of like it's such a big twist that you kind of can't forget it. So the entire time watching it this time, I would like only watch it from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, I watched sort it with like Ivory. Tracking. Yeah, who hadn't who had never seen it before and didn't know the twist. <laughs> Uh, and she was just following it along. And so I was able to track like at the point that she started to suss out what was happening, which she claims was when um, she goes off into the fog to meet Christopher Eccleston. She was like, nope, nope. Husband's dead at war. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Um, but uh, I really love how well these scenes play like as double entendres. Because yeah. the there's a scene where um, the two kids are they share a bedroom and share a bed. Uh, they have no friends. They never leave the house. They just have their mother. It's very mm-hmm. weird. Um, and they sleep together. And then the older girl is a bit more confident. And she sees the ghosts more often. The younger boy is very, very, very shy. And very, 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 very scared. Um, and it's always it's through his perspective as like he wakes up and sees the curtains open in the middle of the night. And the girl's like, no, Victor, the ghost did it. Um, and she's, he keeps opening the blinds and I have to keep closing them again. And you like watch her get up and close them and come back down and they just open up again. And mm-hmm. it's, it, they, that works so well as a haunting. And then you think about it from the other perspective and you're like, this fucking kid just keeps having his blinds being shut yeah it's horrifying and that's another there's another great moment in that scene where she is seated away from the camera looking towards Mm -hmm. the window and she's having an argument with the little boy and it kind of provides plausible deniability right because she he's a little boy's voice which means it's high so it could be that she's doing both voices because we only see her from the back it's very effective i thought i thought it was so creepy this movie plays on a lot of different like options i feel like they knew going in that there was like because it's a big twist people are going to talk about oh there's a big twist so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like oh is it just the kids is it this like uh, the innocence kind of thing and then you're because there's a lot of like why are the kids like the kids are photosensitive and like is that real are the kids the ones that are dead are the kids the ghosts are the kids vampires or something are the kids not photosensitive is the mom just crazy and locking them up did the servants leave? Are the servants dead? The new servants, are they like conning them or something? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's just, we're all, it's all ghosts. But it does Everyone's a really a good job of like leaning into all of those as viable options in a way that lets things be read in multiple ways. It reminds me a lot of kind of the like screwball tradition of misunderstandings to like build up comedy. Oh, like the importance of being earnest kind mm-hmm. of thing. Okay. Absolutely. I feel like it's being able to give things multiple meanings and letting both of those have equal weight allows Mm -hmm. multiple interpretations and allows things to be deeper and more compelling and more interesting. Um, I've heard some friends of mine say that uh, the end, the twist is the weakest aspect of this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about that? I disagree personally. I like the twist. I think Mm -hmm. it's really well executed. I will say that it somewhat inhibits your, the rewatchability of the movie in, in the sense that like you can only experience that one. It's like the ending of don't look now. Right. If you you can only experience that shock one time. I'm so mad that my viewing of don't look now (laughs) was spoiled. It was my own damn fault. 
so I do think that that's true, but it doesn't make the movie any less well-made. Yeah. And I think the ending works very well. I think the ending works very well. I also think like, it's such a sad movie. I mean, it's the best like haunted house movies are always really sad. I think, mm-hmm. but Nicole Kidman is, but all that mm, a few, Nicole Kidman's presence is the only like slick Hollywood thing about this. Cause the only other like, quote unquote big name in the movies christopher eccleston who plays her husband who's second build but barely in the movie barely in the movie yeah, and is only like well known to uk audiences or doctor who fans and me who just really loves the danny boyle movie shallow grave um <laughs> like i he also he's so fucking hot in this but yeah. like nicole kidman's like kind of like religious torment of these kids and the way that she treats them the entire time is like really fucking sad and her anxiety and her like stress levels that she takes out on everyone around her is really fucking upsetting to the point that like when the new uh servants arrive and she informs them that the other ones just left in the middle of the night without collecting their wages yeah you tend to believe pretty fast that oh no no, no. servants would just pack up and leave because she's screaming at them and wielding right. shotguns she's a terrible quickly. person to work for my assumption the first time i watched this i think was that she was insane and the kids were normal and she was doing a flowers on the attic with mm-hmm. them or something you know what i mean or like a munchausen mommy, by proxy yeah like munchausen by proxy sort of territory that was my assumption watching mm-hmm. this <clears throat> which is not the case sort of um sort of it, <laughs> I mean, you can understand her, though, because in her mind, like, these kids could die so easily. And so the, 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 there's so much pressure on her to, like, keep every blind closed and to lock every door as she comes in and out of. I mean, that's a lot to deal with. And then if yeah. your servants are fucking that up, then, you know, that's, you know, you can sort of believe, you could sort of side with her in a way, even though she's crazy as crazy could be. <laughs> yeah. I, want to ask you one of the elements that really struck me on this rewatch that obviously wouldn't have hit me as a seven-year-old um was the religiousness of this movie it opens mm-hmm. um with kind of a like fairy tale short story about god yeah. um creating the universe and it ends with some pretty ambiguous questions about religious religion and belief um because she's a very, 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 like, devout Christian. And to the point of, like, weaponizing it against her kids to keep them in line very frequently. Yeah. Like, she tells them about, like, hell and purgatory uh, to keep her kids in line. And later in the movie, mm-hmm. her daughter's like, I read the Bible. That's not in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the um, Mrs. Mills tells the daughter at one point that, like, your mother f- believes her the things that she was taught very strongly, but they're not the ways of the world, and she's just mm-hmm. going to have to come around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final twist and realization for Nicole Kidman not only is shocking in what it reveals that she has done and where she currently resides, but also it firmly shakes her belief structure entirely. Yeah, I mean, she does have to change her belief structure because... So the 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 gig is that she does not realize that she's dead, right? And so she's tra- mm-hmm. kind of trapped in this loop until the end of the movie. And we don't know how long she's been trapped in this loop because we don't know what era it is when the new family moves in. Um, it feels like sh- she then has to be honest about, like, I don't know what happens because here we are, right? Like, is this limbo? Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe. You know, <laughs> like, we're, we are stuck in this house, it seems. So she's sort of forced into changing everything that she believes the structure of the movie kind of like to me seems to deny christian values or or not values but christian belief structures uh because she's all the lessons she's telling the kids keep falling back on christian beliefs of the afterlife of like we all we're all going to meet together in heaven jesus is the one who like gives us heaven and manifests all that for us. And there's these four different rings of hell for different kinds of people and different kinds of sinners. Uh, and then there is limbo and all of these things. And none of that takes into account the idea of ghosts. She firmly doesn't believe in ghosts. And she just comes right. to believe that there are intruders at her house. Um, 
And so having to accept that, no, we are dead. We are here. This, this does not, there is no pearly gate. There is no hell. This, this is where we are. Kind of like pulls like the rug out from under her, but also the audience a bit, because like, if you're a 2001 American audience, we should also keep in mind the George Bush post 9-11 2001 mm-hmm. view of the world. I guess that was mm-hmm. pre-9-11 um, by like a month. Um, it's a pretty, pretty religious place to be. I could yeah. see a lot of a lot of people siding with her uh, through a lot of the movie. And then when the twist happens and you also reveal the manner of their deaths uh and the like blow to her religion i wonder how that would have been taken um yeah by a lot of I those audiences thought of that i never thought of that I, my experience of it at the time so i was 20 in 2001 i was in college i mm-hmm. saw it in the theater but i was in seattle which is a different culture than you know louisiana or mississippi or montana um and at that time, I was like a very young atheist because I'm Southern. So I was raised Pentecostal, which is like very, very conservative, very, frankly, I'll say icky religion. So I was like a Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, young atheist, <laughs> very obnoxious. So I probably loved that aspect of it. Um, but now I'm on the other end of that. Like I've, I've sort of made peace with Christianity. I'm not a Christian. I do believe in God. I'm not an atheist. So I, I felt very at peace with the ending of this movie like my belief system is i don't know what there is it's all a mystery (laughs) god is unknowable i don't know what happens when we die maybe something hopefully something maybe Mm -hmm. not so you know like i felt very at peace with this ending (laughs) i will say for a non-christian afterlife it's not a bad one no it's a beautiful house it's a beautiful house (laughs) everyone seems like the six of them all seem pretty chill they mostly get along except for nicole kidman but (laughs) She's going to work on that. Yeah, she doesn't it feels like by the end of the movie she's not in the loop anymore. Like she now understands what's going on and things will be different from now on. Mm-hmm. It it is worth mentioning though. I did think when I watched it this time like, oh, she murdered her kids and they're stuck with her. Yeah. forever in the afterlife. Like I felt bad for them a little bit, but I suppose when you're dead, you forgive <laughs> because you've got nothing they didn't else seem to too do. Bothered. Yeah, they yeah. seemed fine with it all in a way they seemed i mean they seemed upset about it and there's a lot of crying and it seems to be that that's like been an underlying anxiety like repressed anxiety the whole time because very frequently the kids are very afraid of her harming them the daughter says multiple times she won't stop until she's killed us um i feel like there's a subconscious resonation of that throughout it um but i i it also seems like a really good jumping off point for a sitcom. Uh, <laughs> but also oh, the thing that I thought about this time while watching it is that, um, that Mr. Tuttle and um, Lydia. Uh, Lydia and Mrs. Mills have already been ghosts in this house for some time. They yeah. uh, were there the entire time Nicole Kidman and her kids were there. And they were just... True sitting there feeling the resonances of them and probably saw the murder happen. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good well, Lord. It seems like once you know everything, all the reveals have come out. It feels like those three ghosts show up at the beginning of the movie because they can see that she needs help. Yeah. Like they can kind of see what's coming because at the end of the movie, they do scare that new family into moving out. But Mrs. Mills says to her, like, there's going to be others, but you know, mm-hmm. this time, We'll be ready for them. Um, so and we it, can live in peace with them and you don't have to freak out and wield a shotgun everywhere. Yeah, there is like a kindness about the movie in that mm-hmm. respect, I feel. And the fact that she is sort of forgiven for murdering her children. I mean, that's not what Christianity would tell you would happen. <laughs> no, not at all. And nor, again, like big major Hollywood blockbuster 2000s movie would never fucking do that. And yeah. especially not now would do that. Um, Amenabar, I mean, like his like kindness towards um, ghosts and towards the afterlife, and to this idea of like there are ghosts all around us, and we need to have sympathy for them and kindness and respect and reverence. Uh, it reminds me a lot of like Guillermo del Toro's Devil's Backbone and mm-hmm. a lot of um, South American and Hispanic filmmaking. Um, and I, 
think it's beautiful and delightful and like i love it so much um this director did the score for this too which is unusual he wrote it directed it and scored yeah. it i can't think of another example of uh, i guess john carpenter um charlie chaplin i think scored uh-huh. his movies in the sound era it's not it's not very common i mean carpenter's the best of them yeah maybe Although, i bet of our I score to this i don't love every good. carpenter score <laughs> <laughs> i um, i love a lot of them but i he, do too but even he admits uh when it's time to bring in any morricone though yeah um Yes, I loved the score for this. I thought it really ele- elevated it. It, seemed, it was very classy, throwbacky while being modern. Just very, very good. Um, I think this filmmaker is so good. I, this movie is the first English language film to win a bunch of um, Goyas, which is the span the, the uh, basically the Spanish equivalent of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, it won a bunch of Saturn awards, which are for genre films, of course. So it's got a lot of prestige that I think it deserves. I think this kind of movie is great. And I love the, um, I just love the trappings of a great Gothic haunted house movie. And I think that this movie proves that it's not a stale genre in any way, shape or form. And there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I think Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak is a great example of it. I, I think Jack movie. Clayton's The Innocence is a great example of it. I think The Haunting, the Robert Wise movie is a great example of it. It's also should be noted this movie came out a few years after the remake of The Haunting and the remake of House on Haunted Hill. So yeah. compared to those, this movie's really a breath of fresh air. It um, is because those movies were trying to not be gothic. They took these gothic source materials and they're like, well, the modern audiences don't want to see that. So let's make it like a, a Rob Zombie TV, music video. Rob Zombie <laughs> music video. You know what I mean? Like, and that has a certain charm of its own too, um, depending on the movie. But but I do like this, and I think. You know, I wish that we had more gothic movies. I think a I lot agree. of people didn't understand Bly Manor. I felt like was so slept on compared to other Mike Flanagan series because it is the really true gothic romance one. And I think modern audiences don't really have a vocabulary for that. I feel like there's been a few recently that have been slept on. For that. I feel like Bly Manor did pretty well, um, at least within I feel my like, didn't like age. Like it in my circle. From what I know, a lot of people that didn't even know about Hill House that jumped in at Bly Manor, mm. um, and it had a big impact on them. Okay, um, maybe that's just my. But I also know experience. people who had that way that were that way with Midnight Mass, who just loved Midnight Mass and didn't know that those haunting shows existed. But yeah. I feel like Mike Flanagan has had the most success of late with reviving um, the gothic ghost story as a genre, um, and you know his contract with Netflix has lapsed. I would be very, and he just wrapped production on a new feature. And yep, he's going to Amazon to continue making a series and productions over there. I would love to see him and other filmmakers because he has a lot of other incredible filmmakers um, directing episodes. A lot of those shows, um, yeah. Axel Carolyn directed one of the best episodes of Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see a lot more of them. F- modern filmmakers like that, getting the green light to make, wonderful gothic haunted house movies because if you think about that this movie is very glossy and it's very well made and it's like produced by like the weinstein company and tom cruise yeah. but it's also like all of six actors in one location it's a very small movie it's a very small movie and it's the kind of thing that done right can be done very 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 well i mean it's why haunted house movies are so popular it's because mm-hmm. in theory they're cheap yeah. Right. One location, just a few actors. Um, it's very easy movie to make financially. And this movie doesn't have a lot of special effects either. There's, there's like no. almost no gore, and there's no like the thing that I feel like takes the wind out of the sails of a lot of ghost movies is like some kind of crazy ghost special effect creature design. And mm-hmm. that almost never works. The great thing about this movie is they keep being like, ghosts wear sheets and rattle chains. That's what they look like. Yeah, yeah. We get one thing that kind of looks like that, but it's still a very human evocation. Um, I feel like this and is like closer to the kind of ghost movies of the 1940s, like um, the Ray Milland movie, The Uninvited, uh, mm-hmm. which is referenced a lot in Personal Shopper, which yeah. we talked about last year, um, which are like, if you are going to show something ghostly and ethereal, it should be grounded. It should like... 
it, it should just be a flicker of light and something like that. Or just like someone standing in the background. One of the scariest shots in this movie is Nicole Kidman kind of like going around the house and preparing for things. And there's a shot of her with like a face in the deep focus background and it's horrifying. Yeah. And then she like r- rips a curtain up and you're like, Oh, it's a painting. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker. So I totally agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Um, anything else to say about the others before we move on? Um, I will also say that it's the final collaboration between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman from the end of their divorce. Yes. Right at the end yeah. there. Um, and it's, I, a very very cool move on Cruz's part to <clears throat> had seen Amenabar's previous movie, liked it enough to want to remake it as a really big budget Hollywood movie, still bringing Penelope Cruz on, and then also fund his and produce his next movie and help cast his very famous wife in it. I think that's a super dope move. Are you saying something nice about Tom Cruise right now? I'm saying something nice about Tom Cruise right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm, but, like, it's going to come out of me anyway. It's like phlegm. It just yeah. has to come up. Um, he occasionally makes very good moves and is a very, yes. very smart. He's an incredibly well-watched individual. Incredibly yeah. illiterate, um, And has He's... very good taste, just not in religions. Um, yeah. or cults. <laughs> and I will say the past few years he's done a lot for the theatrical experience and insisting that his movies play in theater and not mm-hmm. just go to streaming and it's like he's been fighting the studios on those good fights which I think is important and apparently he's also hasn't been to a Scientology center in the past couple of years while he's been living and working in London Interesting. so you know maybe he's deprogramming slowly maybe he and Christopher McQuarrie can finally you know fall in love the way we know they truly have been yeah this is my big conspiracy theory this is the (laughs) one that i buy into the most i just want them to be in love god damn it christopher mcquary like just sits around and watches his boyfriend almost kill himself all the time rather than just simply go to therapy and leave his cult (laughs) but oh well oh well um now it's time to pivot and play our favorite game have they seen it the game where we speculate wildly whether notable figures have seen this movie you mentioned scientology i thought of someone iconic from scientology do you think that scientology leader david miscavige's missing wife shelly miscavige has seen the other shelly miscavige has been brought up on this podcast more than she's been seen in the past decade People think she's dead. I, I, I mean, she could be dead. She's just MIA completely. Or are we the ghosts and Shelly Miscavige is still alive? <laughs> well, there's also rumors that she's in some like sort of Scientology prison in the desert somewhere. Never to be yeah. seen again. Or she that they've that they've hypnotized her and, you know, brainwashed her enough that she's living like as a like checkout girl at a fucking Piggly Wiggly somewhere in the South. <laughs> and you're just like, okay. We'll I never can find her. her. I can kind of picture her trapped in an underground bunker, like the one in Us, you know, with like the ten yeah. people, and she's just watching the others on like one of those TV VCR combos from the nineties. She's got that, and then she's got um, Battlefield Earth, and that's it. <laughs> oh no! Just all the hits of Scientology. <laughs> oh, um. Yeah, I I feel like that's I feel like maybe she saw it at the time. I don't know when when at the when, premiere. When, when was she last seen? Who knows? I have no idea. Who knows? <laughs> you could say. I would have to Google that, and I don't have time. Um. <laughs> um. So Nicole Kidman is such an incredible force of nature in this movie, and she's such incredible talent and actress. Um. And she's mm-hmm. like. Outside of AMC intros alone, she's been having a comeback. She is outrageously talented. Um, it's very fortuitous and lovely that Criterion put out this and is followed it up by putting out the Gus Van Zant movie to die for, which she is fucking incredible. So good. In. Um, one of her breakout roles and the movie that kind of made her a name uh, in Australia, where she's from. Uh, was an exploitation teen movie called BMX Bandits. Oh, boy. Um, 
made by uh, kind of Osploit, one of the kings of Osploitation, Brian Trenchard Smith, mm-hmm. um, who also directed a lot of the um, Leprechaun franchise oh. by the mid 90s. Uh, I mean, he also made um, movies like Dead End Driving and if basically if it's an like an australian genre movie from the 70s or 80s he probably had something to do with it okay do you think brian treachard smith who has such a great like admiration and history with uh the genre uh saw the others do you think he's seen it i know literally nothing about this filmmaker i'm just learning of his existence right now <laughs> but i would say yes because Filmmakers in general, we're not talking about Darren Aronofsky right now, but in general, filmmakers see a lot of movies because it is, in fact, their responsibility to do so. Uh, You only get good at something by understanding that something, right? Um, So I would say yes. And not only that, but I think that he felt really proud of Nicole Kidman's success worldwide mm-hmm. and then sort of like hollywoodification of nicole kidman i think he feels like he had some small part in that i think he's proud of her i think he i'm just like making up qualities about this person <laughs> i learned about 30 seconds ago i think he's really proud of any australian who like makes it big and does well although there is a there's a, another possibility which is when i lived in new zealand this is true of new zealand and australia they have what they call tall poppy syndrome mm. which means when you're getting too big for your britches, they kind of want to cut, cut you, you down. down and it's cultural. Yeah. So that's the other option, but I'm, I'm going to be charitable and say it's the first thing. What about you? I, I feel like he probably, I feel like he probably really enjoyed this movie and probably was like happy to see her like step back into the genre. Not that BMX bandits is a horror movie in any way, shape or form, right. but that like into like slightly more of his wheelhouse. I mean, it's kind of, in the same way that like William Castle technically produced Rosemary's Baby, right. you're like, this isn't a William Castle movie, but hey, he's here. It's a little bit classier, but I'm sure he likes it a lot. Um, yeah, I feel like Brian Trenchard Smith was like, see, I told you, I told you she could do this stuff, and she's great at it. Come on, yeah. And then he called up his uh, distributor and was like, time to reprint BMX Bandits. Put her face all over the cover, <laughs> and the bike's really small in the corner. <laughs> Um, this is a little random, but I'll tell you how I got here. So you mentioned him through Battlefield. You didn't say his name, but you mentioned Battlefield Earth, which made me think of John Travolta. Johnny T! Made me think of Nancy Allen because of Blowout. So do you think Nancy Allen saw the others? Nancy Allen, who was also a Scientologist. I don't know if she still is, but she definitely was in the 80s and 90s. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know if she still is. Um, I just know that she was. Um... I think so. I think, again, like, she was married to Brian De Palma for a time. She's in Carrie. She's in Dress to Kill. She's in Robocop. She, like, has a history with the genre. I feel like this was a really big thing. I feel like I feel like she's definitely a fan of Nicole Kidman. Um, yeah. I feel like she would have loved this. I feel like she would have had a really good time because it's, this is like gateways horror. It's spooky more than it's scary. Anyone could watch. I could watch this with my mom and she would like it. I watched it as a seven-year-old and had a really good time. It's yeah. like it has an air and a tone of horror, but it never, um, never like crosses a line. If you know what I mean, right? Um, cozy horror, despite co- people hating that term. It's cozy horror. I love that term. It's I do too. things are allowed to be scary and cozy at the same time. Welcome to like every fucking goth person you've ever met. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People took you, such umbrage with that term. When it you're going to take umbrage with that up. term, but you also want to have your big titty goth girlfriend. Sorry. She's cozy <laughs> horror. That's her whole brand. Yeah. Um, I think she's definitely seen it. I feel like she likes it a lot, but I also feel like she probably hasn't thought of it since 2002 and was like, Oh yeah, it's the one where they're ghosts. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. That's how I was. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking of this person solely because, um, he's lovely uh and is a pretty um mean force in modern horror um in front of the camera um and but also hosting uh horror related stuff of late and he um also has been working on some features in australia i know he has an australian feature coming out soon uh, i would love to see him work with alejandro Alamin, uh, amenabar um do you think that horror fan 
uh, and great actor in his own right. David Dasmalchian has seen the others. David Dasmalchian of The Suicide Squad, Last Words of Demeter, uh-huh. Oppenheimer, and also Shudder Horror Host yeah. has seen it. Is he a Shudder Horror Host? He has like a horror character that he does. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Um, um, do, does he have like a Joe Bob Briggs kind of thing on Shudder? Is that he like he hosts um award shows on shutter um oh he does the chainsaw awards he does the chainsaw awards occasionally uh and he also has the count crowley comics that he does but he um uh he has this like nosferatu count crowley character um who's just so adorable kind of has this like short like short bang cut and the little like nosferatu teeth he's it's such an adorable character. That's He's so cute. So, so, so fun. He is I... also very hot. <laughs> oh. Um, I think, yes, he's seen this because real ones have seen everything. That's yeah. the truth. I mean, like, all of us in these waters, we've all seen these movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's, of course, there are things that I haven't seen. Of course, I have blind spots, but for the most part, I just like consume as much of this genre as I possibly can. And I have my whole life. And I think that's mm-hmm. how kind of most of us are in, in this sort of realm. Um, so I would say yes. But what about you? I think he definitely has. I feel like he probably saw it like in Chicago in 2001. Hasn't seen it since. And then saw it when it played theatrically again this past year um, and was like, fuck, yeah, this is great. Also, I would like to see him cast in this kind of a movie. I feel like he would do a great job. Uh, Last Words of Demeter, one of the like highlights of that movie is like, he does a pretty good accent. He's pretty yeah. freaking good. Like, I, I watched that on a plane coming back from New York, and I can't really remember a lot about it except for him. It's like a pretty forgettable movie, which is so strange because it's such a good idea for a it's movie. It's a that's really good idea for a movie. Shocking that it wasn't made before. I mean, it kind of was as the middle part of that Netflix Dracula. They did it a version mm-hmm. of it, which was okay. But like, it's such a good idea. And I don't know. The execution just felt so boring to me somehow. But he he's, the st- he's the standout because he knows what kind of movie he's in. And yeah. he's giving the exact kind of performance and gives a lot to his character and a lot of thought into it. I mean, there's a reason why he's in so many like Christopher Nolan movies. Like he's also yeah. a very talented, very like well thought actor. Um, yeah, he just also just fucking loves horror and puts himself into the right kind of genre stuff. Yeah, I'm with him. Um, that is it for this episode of Bloodhouse. Please rate it five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. You can email us at bloodhousepod at gmail. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Drusilla, shout out your socials. Uh, you can find me over at sisterhidedesign.com. I've got new prints up that I did this year for the Rolling Stones. Uh, the foil ones are super, 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 super limited. So get on those as fast as you can. They are a bit more pricey. They're a bit larger. Um, and they are super limited and rare. So I'm crazy proud of those. So that's over at sisterhidedesign.com. And you can look up Sister Hyde on Letterboxd or Drusil Adeline. You can find me there. And all the cool, fun, art house kind of stuff I'm watching over there. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Hyde Sister. What about you, Josh? How can people haunt you online? I'm at Joshua Conkle on Blue Sky, Letterboxd, and Instagram. Um, so next week we're watching one that I believe is new to both of us, and we're both a little frightened of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> worried because this is a movie I've been avoiding for a long time. So we'll see. Um, uh, and one I frequently forget even exists. So yeah. we are leaving behind the foggy moors of England, and we are traveling to a decade-spanning journey through Hungary for the internationally acclaimed cult phenomenon, taxidermia. We'll see what happens. Bye!